and we're going to be praying for you and praying that uh, all these things come to an end and that also that the next report, the thing you'll get, everything will be clear. But I know now why uh, God wanted me to change my sermon. Uh, I had one sermon that I had written, and I really want to preach that sermon, but it's not today. And I know why now, because of Tom's testimony. And I want you to turn with me, if you will, over to the book of Ecclesiastes, because he really fits this. Listen, listen what it says, and starting with Ecclesiastes chapter 3 with verse 1. It says this, To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up. A time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to gain, and a time to lose. A time to keep, and a time to throw away. A time to tear, and a time to sow. A time to keep silence, and a time to speak. A time to love, and a time to hate. A time of war. In a time of peace, let's pray. Father, I thank you for Tom Haddon. I thank you, Father, for his testimony. And Lord, everything he said was true. And I pray, Father, that I will come again with what he has said and undergird that. Lord, I pray that we would see this today and we would understand what God is doing in our life today. Not what he has done, but what he is doing even today. So I ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus. I pray that simply that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable in thy sight for you're our strength, you're our redemption, you're everything. And I've said this over and over again, Father, that we cannot do this without you. I pray that you guide and direct everything said and done. And we ask this in the mighty name of Jesus and for his sake, amen. Every person in here goes through changes, changes in your life, I don't care what it is. Or we could call those changes seasons, we go through seasons. And if you're, if you're going through a time of great happiness, then let me just tell you this, enjoy it. Don't tell me about it, but just enjoy it, amen? And rejoice and, and praise God, it's the time to thank the Lord and praise Him. For don't be surprised if that season does not last. Don't be surprised that there's going to be some things that happen, a season that, that distress will come. And when that, that happens, what do I do? What do I do? To recognize the season that you're in. That's what I'm talking about. There's both in verses, and all these verses I read, all eight of these verses. You can take those all and if you divide them up there's 14 positives and 14 negatives. 14 negative seasons and 14 positive seasons. In verse 1 it says to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. A time for every purpose. A time when there's either going to be good are bad. There's a time, a limit that I, I believe the Lord places on it. Even if you're going through a bad time, I believe the Lord places a time limit on it. What do you mean by that, Lee? In Ephesians 6, 13, it says that you may be able to withstand in that evil day, having done all to stand in that day. Having done in that day. Having done all to stand in that day is what it says. In that day. In other words, God's not going to, you know, we, we, old time people used to say all the time, God will never put more on you than you can stand. Well, that, where does that, what they really mean comes from the book of temptation, or comes from, not the book of temptation, but the, <laughs> sorry about that, but the book, uh, uh, the, the, the book of 1 Corinthians, when it talks about temptation, and it says this, and, and I like to read that book, the book of temptation, but 
in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it, here's what it says. It says, no temptation has overtaken you such as common to man, but God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but will, with that temptation, will also make a way of escape that you may be able to withstand it. In other words, temptation, but what we want to think of temptation, we want to think of something doing wrong or sin. But I know too many people that the temptation is not necessarily a particular sin, but it's hell that they're going through. They're going through things that, that they, they just thought they would never go through. Somebody is going through a divorce and they feel like their whole world has crumbled in front of them. Somebody is still looking for a job and they thought they'd have a job for a long time and it hadn't happened. Somebody's going through health problems and the health problems are just continually, it keeps building up and it just seemed like there's no end to it. And the temptation is to want to throw your hands up and to say, I, I just can't do this anymore. And God, even in that, is in there. That in that temptation, if we will just, it says simply that God is faithful. But I believe there will come a time that he will put an end to it. I believe he will, he will say in that day, that's enough. I'm not going to allow you to be tempted above why, that which you're able to be tempted. Now I know that life can become miserably predictable. The same old wearing of the same old clothes. Driving the same old car. Where your neighbor has got a Lamborghini sitting in his driveway. Working the same old job. Eating the same old food. Uh, returning to the same old house and sitting in the same old chair. I'm getting bored just listening to all this. Watching the same old shows. Climbing into the same old bed. Day in and day out. But you see, all these words were Solomon's mood as he told us about this. He's saying how he felt. In other words, he's saying to us that life is repetitive and there are extremes, there's the highest joy, and there's the deepest sorrow. And sometimes those come in the same time. Years ago when I was young and could really move around and do all kinds of stuff, I played a lot of softball. We had, I was going to a church that we had a really, we had a really strong softball team. I never will forget. And I, I, I loved to play left field and let a batter get in the box. And, and he would look down the line. I'd give him the line. But back in those days, I was fast enough I could take the line away from him. Let him throw a hit down there and I could go catch it before he, he got to first base. But, but that was in those days. We had a really good, strong softball team. We played in a, we played in a league that was just unbelievable. I mean, there were some guys in there that could really knock the ball forever and, and was real competitive and everything else. But we ended up winning that softball league. We ended up winning. They had a tournament. We won the tournament also. And when we won it, that night we won it, it there was such celebration, there was such joy that we had that we just couldn't believe it. You know, and we're all jumping up and down and acting crazy like a bunch of, uh, I don't know what, you know. And, and so we're doing all this. Well, one of the boys that was with us at that time, his mother came to the game for the first time. And she was so excited for us that we had just won this and everything. And, and when she did, she told us simply that, that if we wanted to, she would take the trophies and all the things we got, she would take the trophies and put them in her car and take it back and she would get the newspaper and they would take pictures of those trophies. And so we agreed to put the load, load it up and we took off. About 45 minutes later, on her way home, which we all had the road out of there, we had to go the same road, we came upon this. A young kid driving his dad's Corvette hit her head on and killed her. Those trophies were littered, which we didn't care, but the trophies were literally destroyed, had blood all over them. We went from here all the way down to here. Just in a matter of just a few minutes. That's life. Unbelievable. You can have extreme joy one minute, and all of a sudden something happened just to literally just take, take everything out from under you. You know, uh, so Solomon in verses 3, verse 8, 3 through 8, 
gives us the natural occurrences to life. In verse 3, he says, even goes as far, and whether you want to believe it or not, he says there's a time to kill. And yes, there is. I know in this culture and things, we, we say no, but this is what's got us into this problem. There's a time that some have done such horrendous crimes, even to children, that the death penalty needs to be applied. I'm sorry, I don't want to see anybody go through that. But yes, it needs to be applied. A time, he says there's a time to bring down, a time for dismantling walls and stone walls, and there's a time for even nations need to fall. Verse 4, it says this. It says, a time to weep and a time to laugh and a time to mourn and a time to dance. God's plan includes both sorrow and joy. But even in our sorrow as we as believers, the Bible teaches us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, that we don't mourn as others do. And, I, and, I, and I, one of the things I've done, I've done hundreds of funerals. And one of the things I've tried to get families to do is when this funeral is over with because what happens to us we when we lose somebody we grieve what God is wanting to do in our life is get us to go from grieving to mourning what does that mean that mean grieving is something we do internally and when we mourn it's when we are able to do something we're able to talk about it we're able to look at the good times and remember all the things but we're also when we begin to mourn we're also be able to go back to those scriptures that Jesus says it tells us where those people are because he says in John 14 I go to prepare a place for you that where I am there you may be also where's my loved ones they're with Jesus I can't think of a better place for them to be in than there it also tells me, Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And he that believeth in me, though he may die, yet shall he live again. I need to go back and I need to get those permanent foundational scriptures in my spirit that I know. That's why we don't grieve like the rest of the world. We've got a hope. And the Bible tells us over in Romans 5 that the hope does not disappoint. And I'm telling you one of these days, hope won't disappoint you even though you've lost somebody because the Bible says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy endured the cross. Why did, you know, why was the joy? Was it because of the beatings? Was it because of the cross? No! He looked beyond the cross. He looked and he saw a day when you're going to be running to your loved ones. Man. When you're going to be running into their arms. A day when cricket and I won't be ever separated anytime. Oh, we have such a hope, church. Such a wonderful hope if we will just look to him and to believe how much he loves us and cares for us, that he's gone to prepare a place for us. Times of personal happiness, we should dance and leap and have unconditional joy in those times. Why, why do we not have joy? People say, I, I, well, I just, I'm down all the time. Why do we not have joy? Because the Bible tells us in Psalm 16 that in his presence is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Why do we have joy? Because we're not in his presence. Because his presence is for eternity. That's why. Verse 5 says this, it says a time to cast stones and a time to, to, time to gather stones and a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Here's what it says, a time to cast stone and time, in, in, in history, a time to uh, uh, cast stones where there was a time in peace where the stones were cleared from a field for cultivation and for crops to grow. But in time of war, the stones and the rocks were then thrown back into the field to make them unusable. Verse 6 says this, it says, a time to gain and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to gain, to keep, and a time to throw away. Now listen to this, some of you will appreciate this. When you were young, you became like a hoarder. You tried to accumulate everything you could. You tried to accumulate every gadget on TV or whatever, you know. You had, you had to have the latest iPhone, you had to have this, had that. Well, let me tell you something, that's going to wane one of these days. Because one of these days you're going to get older like I am. 
And you're going to look around all the stuff that you've accumulated and you're going to say, where in the world did all this junk come from? There's a time, there's a time to gain, but brother, I'm going to tell you, there's coming a time that you're going to want to throw away. There's a time you're going to lose, you want to get rid of those things that you, that, that just you think are useless, you know. Verse 7 says there's a time to tear. Uh, a time to tear. You know, when bad news came, it was customary to rip your clothes to show grief. And when the problem passed, it was a time to sew your garments back, sew your garments back together. Verse 7 says a time, it says this, it's a, a, time, to ta- a time to keep in silence and a time to speak in time of love. A time to keep silent and a time to speak. Proverbs tells us how to speak to a fool. It says in Proverbs 26, 4 and 5, do not answer a fool according to his folly. You've got to keep your mouth shut, some people. Don't cast your pearls before the swine. Least you also be like him. And then verse 5 says, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Verse 8, it also says it's a time to love, a time to hate, a time of war, and a time of peace. A time of love and a time of hate. Notice that this is the only one that is a reverse order is used. In other words, the positive goes before the negative. And in the second part of it, it goes the negative to positive. He ends with what we all want in our lives, and that is peace. Solomon's life seems boring and almost depressing. But it could be because he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Why he did that, I don't know. 700 anniversaries, 700 birthdays, I just can't, I don't know. If you talk to some people, this is how they view life. They never have a positive thing to say. They murmur and they complain every time you see them. Thus, I would say to those who continually complain, it, you, have you forgotten that this is one of the reasons that God kept them out of the promised land because they were murmuring and complaining? And the Lord got so upset with them that Moses had to intervene and keep him from wiping them out. He said, I'll just wipe them all out and we will start all over with you. Moses intervened. So as we all go through these times or seasons of life, how does the Lord want us to view the season that you're going through right now? Whatever you're going through, I mean, in this congregation, I guarantee you there's things here going on right now that nobody knows about and you haven't told anybody. How does the Lord want you to look at that season? Whatever you're going through, it may be the happiest time of your life. It may be the toughest time of your life, I don't know. You know, so as we all go through these times or seasons, what's the Lord want? How does he want me to view life? Jesus did say in this world you're going to have trouble, but then he tells us to be of good cheer because he's overcome the world. So here's what I want to do, and I'm finishing this sermon. I, I want to give you seven ways to understand how to view life. How do you view life? Number one, why were you created? I... I this gets into self-worth. There are people that feel like they're not worth anything. Let me tell you something. Isaiah 43, 7 tells us this. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. You, I don't care who you are, I don't care what your qualification or anything else, God created you for his glory. He created you for glory. It doesn't matter what kind of circumstance you came from, whether you were adopted or did you come from an abused situation or a home that was continually in turmoil or were you even left on the doorstep of somebody's home. It doesn't matter. You were created for God's glory. Every human being has worth and and God knows that. Read Psalms 139 and see what it says. That you're wonderfully created, made in His image. So listen, God created you for his glory and the heights that you could reach is how much you realize who you are in him. That's why we read this thing every Sunday. 
I'm not trying to start something new or whatever else. No, I want you to see if you come to the place and point that you know who you are in Jesus Christ, you can accomplish anything that God puts before you. This is why he tells us over in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You know, the Bible tells us that if, if, that how we get saved is that if a man believes in his heart and with the mouth confession is made. But let me tell you something. I think somewhere along the line we've got that confession to mean simply that that's when we got saved. Listen, you've got to confess these things every day. I'm not talking, I believe you're saved once you come to Jesus. But I'm talking about to be able to have victory in your life, you've got to be able to confess who you are in Jesus Christ. And I can simply say that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Now some people, I, you know, I, I, I preached a whole series of messages on this, that one verse. One lady got in her car and she told me this. She said, I, I got in the car and I told my husband, because I kept saying, I want you to say, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am the righteousness in Christ Jesus. And she said, I told my husband, if he says that one more time, I'm going to go up there and smack him. But all of a sudden, God started taking it from here down to here. That's what God wants to do in your life. He wants you to take it from here down to here where that you come to the place that you understand who you are. You're worthless. Man, you're so worthless. What manner of love has the God bestowed upon you that you should be called the children of God? That he's called you and he wants you to come to the place that you realize who you are in him. And so I can say I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Does that mean, Lee, you never sin? No, that's not true. I sin. But he says that to you over in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. He said, little children, sin not. He's supposing that you will sin. Little children, sin not. But if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father in Christ Jesus. And I can come to him and say, Father, did you see what I just did? Did you see what I just said? Did you see how I just treated that person? And immediately, if I confess my sins, means to agree with, he's willing to forgive me absolutely, totally. So everybody, the first thing, why are you created? You're created for the glory of God. Every person, God created you for his glory. And I'm telling you, the things that he wants to do in your life are unbelievable. What season are you in? Is it the season of complete and utter happiness? Or is it the dark and filled depression? It doesn't matter. Whatever it is, turn it over to God and let him show you what's going on. Here's number two. Do you believe in the sovereignty of God? Esteen's Bible Dictionary defines God's sovereignty as the absolute right to do all things according to his own good plan. God's going to do whatever he wants to. Now, we don't like that, but that's what he's going to do. And see, that's why he asked Job, and Job, he asked him, where were you when I made the, uh, the, the oceans and different things? Why, where were you when I did all this stuff? The Holman Bible Dictionary defines God's sovereignty as the teaching that all things come from and depend upon God. So then nothing can or will happen unto the child of God that he first must permit. Now I know that you read the story of Job and everything in Job. He, he lost everything. He lost his kids, lost his house, everything, all his livestock, everything. But if you read the first part of it, who did that? Did it, would God do that? No. See, we lay a lot of things at God's feet that God doesn't do. He loves you. I, you know, I don't believe God takes a child away, you know, because of that. I, I, you know, but Satan will do that. When we, when we move in an area or in an area in which that, that God, we're not trusting him in that area, then Satan can move in. And, and so Satan comes in front of God and God looks at Satan. He says to him, where have you been? He said, I've been walking to and from on the face of this earth you know, seeking who I can devour. Well, guess what? Peter tells us that. He says, the, the Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Well, who, he, who's, who is he that he can devour? He can devour those who don't know who they are in Jesus Christ. They're not walking with the Lord. They're not trusting God. They're not in the Word. They don't have an active prayer. That's who he can do. And so he... He says, and God loves to brag on you when you're doing what he should be doing. He says, have you considered my servant Job? And what does he say? He says, yeah, but I can't touch him. 
Why can't he tell? Because he's got a hedge around him. Why would he have a hedge? Because Job was doing everything God wanted him to do. Now, sometimes God will move that hedge because, and you'll see in just a minute, that he, he wants us to be, move on with him. But the things that happened to Job were because of Satan. So do you believe in the sovereignty of God? That nothing can happen unto the child of God that he first must permit. God is in absolute control. Then here's the third thing. Do I believe if I have come to Jesus and turned my life and existence over to him that he is conforming me to be like Jesus? You know, you got saved, was it just a uh, enter its way to keep out of hell or what? Or did you, when you come to Jesus, did you understand that that's what happened? Listen, listen Romans 8, 29, it says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that they might be the firstborn among many brethren. He's conforming you to the image of Jesus Christ. Every person in here has named the name of Jesus. God is working in your life right now. You may not see it. You may not understand it. But I'm telling you, God is working in your life right now, and he's trying to conform you into what Jesus looked like. You know, the greater percentage of people that come to me with a problem and, and well, you know, and this, you know, and this gets into the fourth thing. Do I really believe that God loves me? Do I really believe that God loves me? You'd be surprised. The, the, the greater percentage of people that come to me with a problem and we get down to the nitty-gritty, it finally comes down to the place that they believe that God really doesn't love them like he does. He doesn't love them like he should. Lord, if you love me, this wouldn't be happening to me. Not true. But in Jeremiah 31, 3, he tells us simply that he, has, he loves us with an everlasting love. The Bible says here in his love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and gave his son to be the propitiation or the payment for our sins. The Bible says that the goodness... The goodness of God leads to repentance. Do you believe that God loves you? So whatever season I'm going through, I need to stop and I need to say, okay, Lord, what are you up to? Because you see, I believe that God is sovereign. I believe with all my heart that God loves me, even though he'd like to slap me around sometimes, I think. I believe that he created, I was created for his glory. And I believe with all my heart and soul that he's trying to conform me into the image of Jesus Christ. And so whatever season you're going through, I need to stop and say, okay, Lord, what are you up to? What are you doing? How does this situation, this problem, this circumstance bring glory to you and benefit to me? How does that happen? Number six, it's important that we understand that the definition of what good is. You see, Psalms 84, 11 says, The Lord will give grace and glory, and no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So ask the question then, what is good? See, some of us have had prayers that we've prayed and prayed and prayed, and we asked the Lord to do something, and he didn't do that. He decided to go a different way, to, to, to take us in a different way. And, and, and yet we read this verse and we say, and people come to you and say, well, no good thing will he withhold from you. But here it is. We've got to find out what's the definition of good. What does it mean good? Remember the rich young ruler that came to Jesus? He came to him right off the bat and Jesus looked at him. And the rich, rich young ruler said to, said to Jesus, he said, good master... What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, what was Jesus' answer back to him? Jesus looked in his heart, and he knew that this kid did not believe he was the Messiah. He did not believe he was God. So how's Jesus' answer? He said, why are you calling me good? What he really, you could add on that. Why are you calling me good? Because you really don't believe in me. 
You don't really believe I'm the Messiah. You don't really believe I'm good. Why do you call me good? And so what does Jesus do? Jesus tells him five things he needs to do. He gives five of the different laws. Don't commit adultery, don't lie, don't cheat, and all this other stuff. He gives five. What? Does that mean that we're saved by keeping the law? No. Because the law is there to do one thing, to confront us. That's why Romans 5, verse 20 says this, that God gave the law so sin would increase. Why in the world would God give the law so sin would increase? Oh, God was against it. He is. Why would he give it? Because of one reason. Because he's trying to get you and I to come to the place that we understand the only hope that you and I have is a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that the greatest thing we have, it says all our righteousness is filthy rags. Not the bad things. My best, what I'd polish off and say, well, Lord, look at this, what I just did. He said, let's say I like filthy rags. So what is good? Do you understand that many times as God gets ready to answer your prayers, that the best thing he can do for you, the goodest thing he can do, is that gooder, goodest, goodest thing? The goodest thing he can do for you is what? For him to just show up. For him just to be close to you. That you see him like you've never seen him before. Remember the story of Jesus and Jesus goes up on the hills to pray. And while he's up there praying, he sends the disciples out in the boat. He knows there's a storm coming. He ever put you out in the middle of a storm? He knows the storm's coming. He knows it's there. And they're out there now. They're about to drown and everything else. And water's coming over. And they're a bunch of fishermen. So this must have been a really unbelievable storm, you know. They probably didn't have all that depth charges and all that other stuff that fishermen have today. But they're out there and they're about to drown. And Jesus comes walking across the water. And the book of Mark says something that's very interesting. What's it say? And it says, and Jesus would have passed them by. What's he trying to do? Beat them to the other side? He would have passed them by and said, boys, y'all, see y'all. You know, we go to the other side. No, that's not what he was doing. It's the same wording. Remember when Moses looked at God and he said, Lord, can I see your face? And God said, no, nobody's ever seen my face and lived. He said, but here's what I'll do. I'll put you in the cliff of the rock and I'm going to pass by. And I'm going to show you my, the word says, goodness. I'm going to pass by. What am I saying? I'm saying simply this. That Jesus would have passed them by because they were on the verge of seeing a side of the Lord that they'd never seen before. Because once he got in the boat with them, he said, peace be still. And the waves quit and the wind went down. And as a result of that, man, they, they looked at Jesus and they said, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the storms obey him? Could it possibly be? I remember a time in my life that I had to rent an apartment. Lord, it was a dirt thing. Upstairs, the woman below me cooked cabbage every day. I mean, I, there was Monday through Sunday, she cooked cabbage. And all that cabbage came right up into my, my little bitty dumpy apartment. And I remember crying out to God. Could it possibly be that the very reason you're in the season that you're in is that God is trying to do this with you, trying to reel you in. He's trying to make you closer than you ever thought you could be with him, that you're going to know him, not know about him. You're going to know him like never before. Could it possibly be? Could it possibly be that he would use a divorce to make you come to a place that you understand who he is, that he, the loss of job, he could be, I mean, I could go on and on, but God does that. He's in the midst of those things. So what's good? Sometimes in a season of mourning and stress or disappointment, we pray for God to, to move in a certain way and things or the prayer have not been answered the way we wanted. No good thing would he withhold from us. We're like Mary and Martha. And they're looking at Jesus, and their brother has died. And they said, Lord, if you'd been here, our brother wouldn't have died. 
And yet the solution to their season was standing right there in front of them. He tells her about the resurrection and Mary and Martha both look at him and say, well, Lord, we know about all that stuff. And a lot of times I tell people, you know, they got a problem going on. I say, you need to go home and really get on your knees and cry out to God and let him speak to you. I've done that. No, you haven't. Have you heard the voice of God? Then you haven't prayed. You prayed one of them Mickey Mouse prayers, you know, now lay me down to sleep. God's good. God's great, you know. But did you get a hold of him? No. Then you really haven't prayed. Our understanding of many of our prayers will not be understood until we get home to heaven. And then we'll see. We'll see. How often in answering a prayer, the the good that we're looking for was God himself and we didn't comprehend his presence. Number seven is this. God takes through... Through us, takes us through a season where the ultimate goal he has for us was the goal of the Apostle Paul, which was the goal of his life. What was it? Philippians 3.10. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed unto death. Not know about him, but really know him. I know about Elvis, but I don't know Elvis. Somebody said they saw him down here. I know. No, My mother years ago in the 1950s took a whole thing, a group of Girl Stouts to Knoxville, Tennessee to see Elvis Presley. And the police were there to make sure he didn't wiggle. Well, we've come a long way, haven't we? To know not about him, but to really know him. Why are you having a season? Let me just, let me have your attention to this. Why are you having a season like you're having? Is it one of joy, happiness, or, or one of trouble? Many times I've asked, will the Lord, I've been asked this question, will the Lord accept me the way I am? Yes, he will. Yes, he will. The Lord will accept you just the way you are. Dirt, sins, the whole nine yards. He'll take the whole gobbledygook of what you got, the mess you got into. All the things wrapped, he'll take it. If you come to him and really mean business and repent. But he's not going to leave you that way. You come to God, he's going to start changing. And even if you don't want it to be changed, he'll change you. He'll mold you and make you into something. Remember the story of Jeremiah, how he goes down to the potter, and he sees the potter's making a pot, and he comes it up, and he brings it up here, and he sees a mar in it, a a bad place. So what's he do? He takes it down, and he brings it back up, and the Bible says he does it as what the potter saw fit to do. God's going to call you. God's going to make you. God's going to have you put in positions and places that you never thought you would be into. And as a result, listen, if my teachers knew I was preaching and that I'd been a principal when I went through school, they'd turn over in their grave. But many times I'm asked, will the Lord accept me? Yes, he will. He He may for a while allow you to wander, but if you belong to him... His purpose for you is to be like Jesus. Now, what does that mean? Here's what it means. Philippians 1, 6, listen to what he said. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will continue it, a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. If you come to Jesus, God began a work in you. And what does that say? He's doing a work right now, and as he does that work in you, guess what he's going to do? He's going to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's not going to quit. He may, you know, I love it when God just gets the sandpaper out and just, you know, knocks a little rough edges. I don't like it when he gets the chisel and the hammer out and the ball-peen hammer and starts banging me really bad. But sometimes he does that. Ephesians 2.10 says this. Ephesians 2.10 says, for, for we are his workmanship. You're his workmanship. You're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Listen to this. God's got a plan for your life. 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. He already knows what you're going to do. Oh, we love to read that verse over and, and, and over in, in, in the book of Jeremiah that says, that I, For I know the thoughts you have for me, thoughts to be good and, and not evil, thoughts to give me hope and to give me a future. We love that. Well, this is what it is. He'll do it. Which God prepared before. He's got a plan for you. And if you miss that plan, you're not going to be happy. You're not going to have the joy. And one of these days, the Lord said, you know, somebody said that God had a big warehouse in heaven and had all these boxes sitting in it. And somebody said, well, what's those boxes? That's all the blessings that God had for his people that they missed out on. God's got some blessings for you. Hey, hey, is this not good news? Huh? Is this good news, church? Yes, it is. Maybe we were ready to go back hell, fire, and brimstone, and everybody's going to hell in a handbasket and everything. No, God's got a blessing for you. Don't miss out on it. Then Philippians 2, 12 through 13 says, It's therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as for my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And people say, oh, you talk grace. This says works. Yeah, but you got to read the rest part of it. What's the next verse say? For it is God. It is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. What's he doing? He's molding you, making you in like Jesus. He wants you to have the joy of Jesus. He wants you to have the love of Jesus. He wants you to have the power of Jesus. Work out to do his will. Now, I'm almost through. I'm really almost taking my seat. And if I go over to Romans 8, 29, 30, oh, don't talk about predestination, Lord of mercy, but this is what it says. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to his image, his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God can predestine people. Why? He's God. He knows who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved. Does that mean he just picks out something? No. Because there's too many verses in the Bible that says, whosoever will come. That's God. It says that God's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. God wants everybody saved. He possibly can. And when he goes on to verse 30, Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he all justified, and whom he justified, there's the glory. This is like the chicken and the egg, which came first. God knows. He knows. I'd be lying if I said he doesn't. Until we come to the realization of the things God is allowing to come into our lives, we, will, we, 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 we cannot say, listen, listen, what God is wanting you to do. He's wanting you to come and be blown away. He's wanting you to come to the place that you say, man, what a mighty God I serve. And listen to what it says over in Romans 11, verse 33 and, and, and 36. It says, oh, listen to this, what this says. Because when you take all this together and you realize what God's trying to do for us, it says, oh, the depth and the riches of both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For whom has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid repaid." To him are verse 36 for of him and through him to him are all things to be whom be glory forever and amen. Man, when we get to heaven, we're gonna be blown away what God, how God did things in our lives and what He's gonna show us in this thing. God wants to do something. What season are you in? It's like all the things that Tom talked to you about, all the things he's been through. But boy, if you hang on to the hand of God, what God will lead you through every distressing moment, everything, if you just trust him. You know, I read the story of John Bunyan, who John Bunyan uh, rebelled against God. His father, he rebelled against God. Had, he, had, he had few equals. He cursed, swearing, lying, blaspheming the holy name of God. And as a teenager... He, drove, he joined Cromwell's new model army. But he continued his rebellious ways. His life, this was his season, his life was saved on one occasion when a fellow soldier took his place at the siege of Leicester 
And as he stood sentinel, he was shot in the head with a musket bullet and died, which should have been John Bunyan. When he was discharged from the army, he married a godly woman, that, and he, read, he basically read two books. He read Plain Man's Pathway to Heaven and The Practice of Piety, and he reformed his life. He became a preacher. He spent 11 and a half years in prison. And you say, oh, I see there. I see, uh, you know, here's the season. What, what happened there? Let me tell you what he did during those 11 and a half years. He wrote a little book called Pilgrim's Progress. In those 11 years, he was in prison. That's what he did. What did God get? It's the same thing with, what did John, you know, they tried to kill John. They put him on the Isle of Patmos. That'll take care of him. No, God revealed the whole book of Revelation to him. I think about John Newton, who was a slave trader, ran slave ships. He actually had to repent of it after he was saved. Uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, he was an abolitionist. And yet, John Newton, how many times do we stand in this church and we sing a song called Amazing Grace? Amazing Grace that saved a wrench like me. John Newton wrote that. Oh, I'm telling you, God, whatever your season is, don't get discouraged. Give it over to the Lord. Say, Lord, I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand why I'm, I'm having to go through this. But give it to him. And say, Lord, I pray that I can praise you and thank you. I'm telling you, I have walked into hospital rooms sometimes with people. And they look at me. And I'm going there to minister to them. And they may have cancer or whatever else it is. And they look at me and they start talking to me and they start telling me how much Jesus loves me. They tell me how, how much faith they have in God and God's going to see them through. And I walk out of there and I'm telling you what, I got ministered too. I didn't get a chance to minister. I got ministered. That's what God wants to do in your life. Oh, the joy and the peace that he wants to give you, the peace of God that passes all understanding. And you know, one of the things, one of the great verses of Scripture is found over in Philippians chapter 4, and I didn't give this to you. It's Philippians chapter 4, and I believe it's verse 5. Is it Philippians 4, 5? Yep. Now, in your, in your body, your verse, if you've got an NIV or whatever else, it says, let your gentleness, and it probably does a new King James Version too, let your gentleness be known to all men the Lord is at hand. You see, see, it tells us the verse before that rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice for the Lord's at hand. Well, the Lord's at hand two ways. He's said he'd never leave you, never forsake you. He's right there sitting by you. But also, he's coming back. That's the two ways. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, how do you do that? Let your moderation be known unto all men the Lord's hand. Well, the moderation, but the truth of the matter is, it's, it says moderation, that's the old King James there, but it says let your gentleness. What does it mean? If in that first part of that season, you just go, oh, I just don't understand why all this is happening to me. If God was walking with me, and you go through the whole thing, and all of a sudden it's over with, in that season, what did you accomplish? Not one cotton-picking thing. But at the first of it, if you say, oh, Lord, I don't understand what you're doing, but, Lord, I'm going to trust with you. I'm, I'm going to find me an anchor verse in the Bible. I'm going to find something like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. I'm going to, I'm going to trust you, Lord. I'm going to go through it. And p people come up to you and say, how are you doing? And you, rather you saying, oh, I just don't know whether I can make. No, you, you get, and you say simply, listen, I'm trusting the Lord. I'm praying. I'm asking him to walk with me. That's what I'm doing. As a result, that when it's over with, guess what, man? God's going to bless you. He's going to bless you. He's going to bring things into your life. And, he, and what's, what's the next thing? Your faith is growing. This is why 117 says, when the Bible says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ in 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, Romans 1:16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God and the salvation to everyone who believes it to the Jew, first and the Greek. And then he comes along with 117, which got John, uh, uh, which, which brought about the Reformation. It says, for the righteousness of God John is revealed from faith to faith to faith to faith. I put my trust in him and I walk with him. Whatever it is. Whatever it is. So who are you trusting in? You trusting in yourself? Nature, whatever it is, I don't know. 
Something weird. You know, the Chinese are wanting to do their own Bible now. That'll be a great thing, I'm sure. All the other things that are happening around the world. But we, you know, when we go outside these doors, we're going to run into things, boy, that's just going to be absolutely, totally the opposite of what we teach in here. And this is why you need to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. You need to put on the armor of God as you go out and let him lead you and direct you every step you take. But when you, whatever happens, get alone with him and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? What are you doing in my life right now, Lord? You know, this cricket will tell you right now, we'll be glad when 2023 is over with. I had to have open heart surgery. Then I had to have, I had to have, abs, I don't know, I had a couple of teeth abscessed. That was harder than I, uh, that. Then I fell and broke the bone in my butt. That's basically what it is. Now this week they tell me I can't see, so I got to go have cataract surgery. So <laughs> I'm telling you, I think you could probably trade me in for a couple old practice balls someplace. I don't know. I feel like an old worn out Jeep, but you, you can't get parts. But the Lord has just given me stuff so much in the midst of all this, you know? And He wants to do the very same thing in your life. Amen? If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, we're asking you to come and surrender your life to Him. Maybe you're looking for a church and you're saying, Lee, I, I really feel like the Lord has called me to come and be part of this church. And we would love to have you as far as the state. Maybe, maybe there was a time in your life that you gave your heart to the Lord, uh, but you feel like that you've sort of backslid. And the Bible says that God's married to the backslider. I want you to know that. But maybe you feel like you've backslid and, you, and you're not where you ought to be.